time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 86 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Cold brew. It's cold brew. What flavor did you get? I think that's just Colombian. Yeah, I think I got the hazelnut. Okay, so are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. So how are you doing today? Pretty well. Bracing for another round of torrential rain tomorrow. I know. They're saying it's going to be like tropical storms. I'm hoping it's wrong. I hope so too. Because everybody's going to be in all the babies. I mean, I've been working so hard on getting substrate built up in the runs because of the zinc poisoning issue. Every time it rains, things sink even more and it releases zinc. So I probably am at the point now where I need to have the soil retested in the runs. Oh, yeah. To see what we're working with. It's been bad here, like storms every day. It's so much water. I'm worried about my garden. It's been so much water. Like too much water. My runs are like that worst mucky. Oh, yeah. And you sink. It's just, oh, it's awful. It is gross. It's Um, too much rain. And, you know, I have a few senior hens now. Agatha Christie actually has been having problems for a week or so limping. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find anything wrong with her. I went all over her body. I took her into Dr. Rebecca, who gave her an x-ray. Right. And couldn't find anything wrong with her. So we think it's just old age arthritis. It can happen. She's five years old. She's a heavyweight breed. She's a Jersey giant. Say she tweaked her leg in any way over the years. Right. It's just like people, arthritis can set into any little injury that you may have. And it's on one side, which is why we were pretty sure it wasn't zinc poisoning. Yeah. That's pretty symmetrical. Yeah. So we have started her on an arthritis medicine. Yeah. I don't think that's something that's been commonly done with hens. Yeah. But so far... Knock on wood. She's doing really well. She's responded well to it. She's getting around much better. So that's awesome. As always, thank you, Dr. Rebecca. I'm I'm thrilled with her progress. That's good. Anti-inflammatories are a good thing for people and chickens. And chickens. I'd like to see more research done on aging chickens. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a reality. A lot of us. We did the episode on on senior chickens. On senior chickens, but it's a real deal thing. The chickens grow older and we need to know how to continue that care. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's been busy. This summer, it's flying by. It is. So fast. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to me how quick, like, Sophia with her swimming, she gets up early every morning. I'm like, I just want to sleep in one morning, man. Oh, sleeping in. Sounds good. It never happens. It never, ever happens. Well, I realized that we were starting to schedule for September. I know. It's crazy. Which, and it makes me heave a giant sigh of relief because I love the cooler weather in September. Yeah. But darn, wasn't it just spring? We waited for spring for so, so long. long. And then it's like, boom, there was no spring. It mm-hmm. went from winter to summer, Pretty, basically. That's what happens now. Okay. So if we could ask a big favor, if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit subscribe. That's another thing that helps us grow so, so much. That way you never miss an episode. It's true. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can visit our Etsy shop. You can become a patron of the show. Visit us at patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the podcast. If you go into the higher tiers, you get a monthly bonus episode and a Zoom call. Happy hour with us. The other thing you can do is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. 
Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tee for me. You can't go wrong with the chicken tee. They are so cute and so soft. In the June box, I absolutely love the embroidered rooster apron and the egg carton stickers. I love those chicken leg bands with charms and the egg cartons that go with those stickers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your purchase and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box with at least a three-month subscription. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Okay, so now it's about that time for the breed spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. This week, the breed spotlight is the Brabanter. Yes, it is. This is a listener request, isn't it? I think a while back, okay. someone requested this. We had the Brabanter on the list, but I seem to remember someone asking for it. Yeah. The Brabanter is an old breed of chicken that originated in the Netherlands near the border of Belgium. Right. Essentially, Brabant is a region of Flanders. And the interesting thing about Brabant is that they're famous for a couple of other things. The Brabant Draft Horse. Wow. The Brabant Draft Horse is the heaviest of all the draft horse breeds, and it's the foundation stock of the modern American Belgian horse. They are massive. They're massive, yeah. They're also home to the Brabant Griffin dog. And then it's also the birthplace of Vincent van Gogh. Excuse me? She's doing the ear thing. I can't hear you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so the Brabanter is probably several hundred years old. Almost every source you see mentions some Brabanter-looking chickens that appeared in a pair of paintings in the 1600s. I mean, literally, look up the Brabanter and you will find mention of this. They're cute little chickens. They're very cute. And that is probably them in the paintings. I just thought it was funny that everyone's repeating this same little nugget of information. Any chicken that has a crest or a mohawk like that, I'm in on. Absolutely. But the thing with the paintings is that's not the earliest evidence. There is written evidence that they were probably around in the 1500s. Oh, yeah. They're a very old breed. Now, I can't find a single thing about how they arrived in the U.S. or when. Okay. Nothing. They are not APA accepted. The British Poultry Club does mention them. Okay. So it seems like they maybe at least have a presence in the UK. Okay. But again, information is super scarce. And because of that, this breed is really difficult to research. Definitely one of our more exotic ones. Yeah. Apparently, they were in sharp decline in the early 1900s. Some historians even said they were functionally extinct. Okay. But some breeders set out to preserve them. I can't find any of this strongly documented anywhere. Right. So we're just going to have to go with the bit that I can find. There is speculation that a handful of other breeds were used to recreate the Brabanter okay. or at least add some genetic material in outcrossing. The one is the Owlbeard, and I can see that. In the Owlbeard, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We are actually going to be profiling the Owlbeard coming up pretty soon. That's been one of my ones that I've wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was interesting that that was a possibility. What was the other one? The Polish. Yeah. And actually, there's a third that we'll talk about in a minute here. So here is the other difficulty with researching this little chicken. They are sometimes called the Brabacon, but they are a distinct and separate breed from the Brabacon. The easiest way to test this, believe it or not, is to go to Greenfire Farm, who does carry the Brabacon. Okay. The Brabacon has a crest, but it's a smaller crest, and it's not that upright front-facing crest right. that the, the Brabant has. The Brabacon also has a straight comb. The Brabanter has a V-comb. So the Brabanter is probably related to that old group that has the Polish, yes. the Houdans, the Krevkor, all of those. Who have those lovely bee combs. And here's the other breed that makes perfect sense that they may have been outcrossed with when they were trying to preserve them. The Appenzeller Spitalen. Yeah, they look a lot like them. They really do. What's the other breed they look a lot like? The Pavlovskaya. Yes, we were just looking at a book. Yeah. And we noticed that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that like at the end of the show. Yes, well, we are. Retail therapy, but these are fancy chickens. Very, very, very. If you want to be that classical chicken mm-hmm. lady, mm-hmm. you want to have a few of these a along with your Polish. Right. <laughs> your Sultan. So they have that V comb that we mentioned. Yes, they do. They have that crest. 
It's that upward Mohawk. facing. Yeah. Like we said, the Spitzhaben and the Tubbleskaya. Blue legs, small white earlobes. And some color varieties of spangled feathers. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. They're really pretty. Really small body chickens. They're like close to being bantam size. Hens are around four and a half pounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's little. I would say they're close to the Mediterranean breed. Yeah, and Mediterranean size. to me are close to bantam too. They can be. Yeah, I mean, they're on the smaller side. I think the roosters are about five, five pounds. They're five pounds. I did see in a couple places it was mentioned that the earlier iterations of this breed were bigger. Again, I couldn't find anything. I think anything. it kind of always happens. It's Yeah. With breeding over time, some things get bred out, and size is always one of them, I feel like. It could be. When you bring in more genetic lines from somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're adding it. one of the big breeds. Exactly. You'd have to be adding a big breed in there. Like all those breeds that had Asiatics as their foundation breeds, that's going to make you a big chicken. Yeah. But if you're Polish. If you're, right. These are little chickens. These are little chickens, right. Some of the colors that you can find Brabanters in around the world include black, blue, white cuckoo, gold, and the feathers are golden bay with a black. The spangle? Yeah. Yeah. The spangle is on the end of each feather. There's also a silver spangled. There's a cream also buff with white markings. Yeah. Really pretty. In the U.S., they're usually just the gold and the cream. Yeah. Both very pretty. Very, very pretty. They make the best pets. They're gentle, friendly, and known to have great personalities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All the breeders I saw in the U.S. said that their roosters are gentle and kind. I think they're very pretty in their own way. Yeah, they're cute. Anybody with the crest and the little mohawk And that beard. Yeah. You always love some fancy chickens. We have our salmon favorals, and they're kind of fancy. Yeah, they are. But I always want to take the step up a little bit. I know. A fancier breed. I'm always looking at the ones that we profile in the breed spotlight. Yeah. There's a lot of fancy ones. I love that with the gold spangled, a lot of them have a black beard. Yes. It's cute. It's really cute. They're a black beard. (laughs) They are actually great chickens for backyard farmers. For sure. Personality, we always say, is number one. If you have a gentle, friendly chicken, you're going to have a good backyard bird. The other thing is they're decent layers, 150 to 180 large white eggs per year. It's not in my top over 200, but it's in the moderate. But, you know, keeping in mind what we've been talking about with hen reproductive health. Yeah. That's not necessarily a bad thing. No. That's around three per week during laying season. Yeah. Something I've just been thinking about lately as I grow more of my own food, etc., and that's the fact that eggs actually are seasonal. They are. I know people do things to prolong the laying season. That's not my choice. Right. I would prefer to regard eggs as a seasonal thing and safeguard the health of my hens. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you're just a backyard farmer who wants a fancy chicken that's a decent layer, this is perfect for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. As friendly as they are, I did see in a couple places where people said you do have to handle them because they can tend towards flighty if they're not used to people. I almost think that's a rule of any chicken. If you don't handle them, they're going to be afraid of your hands. Mm -hmm. I think any chicken has that inside of them. That's why I don't like people mark certain chickens as flighty. I think it's a natural response. It's probably, yes, you're probably right. It is a natural response. And so what we should probably say is like a breed like the Cochin is ultra calm. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of reinforcing flighty, reinforce the other side. That's a very good point. Yeah. They are known not to go broody. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you wanted to do the natural route, you'd either have to have a broody hen or you'd have to do incubators if you ever want to breed these. They're not traditional breeds in the U.S. So they're not on the Livestock Conservancy's conservation list, but they are a rare breed worldwide. Oh, yeah. So if you wanted to do any kind of breeding, you'd have to have, again, broody or incubator. They're supposed to be pretty good foragers. But they do deal well with confinement also. Yeah, which which is good. Which is really, really good reasonably cold and reasonably heat hardy right in the middle i would watch that crest doesn't get wet and icy like uh, silkies or the polish exactly. or any of those if they're reasonably heat hardy they might be good for an area like they're the light body chicken right so you would think they would be better in the heat than the cold right they're going to have less on them to keep them warm in the winter so you will have to make some provisions mm-hmm. i always make provisions both ways you know for, I, these, I do too, for yeah. these chickens they need to have strong structures that keep them warm They're very small, so I can imagine they would be really good in the heat, Mm -hmm. but not to sit there and be overwhelmed. No, because they do have a beard. Yeah. They do have some heavy feathers. They're soft feathered, but a lot of feathers, a lot of fluff. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah. They're cute. Could you see this chicken in your flock? Yes. This is what I could. 
I knew you would. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely have a certain type of chicken that I like. Mm-hmm. I'm growing, just trying to finish off my flock and my family of all the ones that I want. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take time. I was going to say. Right now, we have eight babies this. integrate, so it's not happening the right now. The inn is full. The inn is full For right this now. year, the inn is full. Next year's a new year. We're integrating First babies start. in two different cycles. Oh, my heavens. And it's, been, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. been a lot this year. I didn't say this in the beginning of the episode. We'll talk more about this next week. We're integrating a new sheep, too. Yeah. So I'm kind of pulling my hair out. It's a little nerve-wracking. It's a lot of integration going on right now. Very integrated right now. Sets. Yeah. It's actually one of the more stressful times. I don't flap too much unless it's a serious health issue, but the integration has got me chewing my fingernails. With two sets. Yeah. It's double trouble. And a new sheep. <laughs> and Yeah. And it's taking longer, I feel like. Yeah, I you think know? so, too. We're being patient. So where do you find these absolutely adorable chickens? Yes, where do you find them? The Hatchery Ideal Poultry does carry them. Okay. There are a couple of private breeders that I found on a Google search. So if you're in the U.S. or Canada, I would just do a Google search for Brabanter, plug in your zip code, and see what you can come up with. And check them out on Google. You won't be disappointed. They're They're super cute. They really are cute, yeah. If you have this chicken and you like to share a picture on our stories on Instagram. Please. Yeah, mention us and we will reshare it. We would love to see Mm -hmm. them. Are you looking for a vintage small farm feel for your egg packaging this year? Or are you looking to develop a unique brand image with custom packaging? The Egg Carton Store offers a wide variety of recyclable cartons, customizable stamps, poultry care products, and a robust customizing tool to design your own labels. Plus, they offer fast, free shipping on all cartons and labels. Visit eggcartonstore.com for all of your egg carton, label, stamp, and poultry care needs this spring. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosty's store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosty's range or follow the link in our show notes. So, I think it's time we move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. And for this month's main topic, we're having a roundtable with our friend Fiona. Fiona, we missed you. We did, yeah. So, now it's about that time that we go across the pond and have coffee with Fiona. Yeah. Hey, Fiona. How are you doing today? We're knee-deep in chicks. Marshmallow's got 12. We have got Frankie with nine. We've got chocolate with nine and Nugget is just hatching at the moment. And Jellybean is going to be hatching on Tuesday. So we are knee deep at the moment and we've actually had some of Nugget's eggs because she had quite a lot which were fertile and crush injuries are very common with broody Mm -hmm. hens. So we actually divided the clutch in half and we've left her with about eight eggs rather than a larger clutch. She actually had 15 eggs in total. That would have resulted in crush injuries. We'd be expecting 12 successful hatches from 15. But if we'd left her with 15 eggs, we would have definitely had some crush fatalities. So we've split them up, seven in a brooder, eight under nugget, so she should have her 12 chicks, hopefully. So you're hatching some of your Orpingtons. What other breeds are you doing this year? No, this year we're just doing Orpingtons. It's, oh, it's nice. Only Orpingtons. Uh, so what we've decided to do now in the future is we'll have our egg layer breed. So we've got the Crested Cream Leg Bells and we've got the Well Summers. We'll keep them for two summers egg laying and then we'll offer them for sale at discounted rates. Mm-hmm. And they always go, people always buy them because they're so friendly a lot. Yeah. You know, they absolutely oh, love yeah. people. So they get snapped up very quickly as family pets. And what we'll do is next summer when our hens are in their second summer of laying, we'll hatch out some more. And we are going for, I can't remember the name of the breed now, the green egg layers, the ice Ice bars. bars, Yeah. And of course, we'll go for some more crested cream leg bars. Nice. There's a wonderful lady on Instagram that I found breeds them. And she's promised to save me some eggs for next spring season. So nice. I can't wait to see them. I wanted to say to everybody too listening that if you want to see these videos of these babies running with their mamas and amazing reels on Instagram, follow the Floof Lady because I am loving your reels. They're so cute. 
If you want to see Frankie's progress, there's a hashtag Frankie Watch. Just have a look at them because she is, I mean, we've talked about Frankie before. So unless you're new to the podcast, you'll know all about her, but she is Cerebral Challenge. So, you know, she's my mentally handicapped chicken. I say this about Frankie. So it sounds like, you know, she's bottom of the pecking order and she needs special care. But I tell you what, we let both Chocolate and Frankie with her chicks out yesterday, two days after the hatch. So she went out with the big flock. Marshmallow's got her 12 chicks. Marshmallow really stamped her authority on chocolate very quickly. No fights, major fights, but it was very much Marshmallow was in control. Frankie comes along, just bops Marshmallow on the head, fluffs up, and that was the end of that. Frankie's <laughs> back in control. I love that love chicken, it. I'll tell you. She, she is really the is. Boss. And Clover, she'll come over. Clover can run the biggest circle that you've ever seen in your life. She's okay. an Insta star, though, is Clover, isn't she? <laughs> Yeah, she loves she the red circles. Mm-hmm. She is a precious little thing. She is. We love her so much. It's a relationship with Gertie as well. It's just lovely to say. Gertie, Gertie loves these babies. Gertie lays an egg and she'll sit on it for a little while and be like, okay, I want another baby. And then like, I'm like, look, Gert, I'm sorry. No more babies are coming this we season. We have enough babies this We're season. We're done. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Marshmallow, 12 chicks, and every day licorice lays her egg in the same coop that Marshmallow sleeps in. <laughs> oh, no. Guess what Marshmallow does at night? Goes and finds this egg and sits on it with oh. her 12 <laughs> chicks. It's <laughs> crazy. Exactly. It's, oh, dear. I don't know what to do, honestly. I have to say that Gertie is the best surrogate mom ever for these chicks. Yeah. The maiden and every single one of them and mm-hmm. show them how to scratch and show them how to peck the grass and get a bug. And they look up to her. They follow her. I'm amazed. I mean, she's a well summer. She's not really supposed to be like the mommy type, but she is. Yeah. Okay. So this week we are going to talk about when you don't have chicks, you have eggs to eat and preserving your eggs when you have a boatload. Yeah, because there's going to be nothing in winter. I know. Right, right. You're going to eat them in the winter. It almost seems crazy to be planning this right now, but this is when you need to do it, when you have an overabundance and start yeah, preserving so for them. Yeah, so don't pack them up, leave them on your neighbor's doorstep and run away laughing. <laughs> Use one of these methods instead. So a few weekends ago, I said Sophia and Ella, since Sophia's driving now. That so, makes right? me feel so old, Sophia's driving. Oh, know, my goodness. Crazy. With seven dozen and a half eggs and just said, okay, take it to this neighbor. Take them to this neighbor. Take them to this neighbor. (laughs) So I'm like, we can't use them. We want everyone to enjoy them. But we're going to talk about ways that you can preserve them Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to take what I call the walk of shame in December when you're baking holiday cookies and you have no eggs. Yeah, (laughs) because you don't want to go to the store because they're just not the same. They really are now, we won't have to do that this year because we have nine chicks each. <laughs> but Chicken math, it's real. So I have recently hard-boiled a lot of this overabundance of eggs. I did it with the Nankin eggs because I wanted to make pickled eggs and I thought they would be adorable for snacks. So you're going to talk us through some other methods for much longer-term storage for eggs. Pickled eggs are a big thing in pubs in the UK. And I have to say, in all my years, I still haven't seen anyone buy one and eat it. <laughs> really? So, really? No, that's that's not true, actually. I have seen someone buy one, but we bet him. We bet you <laughs> oh. won't eat it. They wouldn't have them in the pubs if people didn't eat them. So right. they must sell them, but I'm still yet to see anyone actually So we buy did one. a recipe for pickled eggs I love that. recently. And I was telling Holly, I'm like, beet pickled eggs are a no-go for me. But that's only one type of pickling. I know. I said I would try the other kind. I said, but I've never really been a huge fan of pickled eggs myself. But it is a way to preserve and it works very, very well. I'll tell you what I'm a convert to that I've never tried before. And we did for the very first time last year was pickled cucumber. Because we always grow lots and lots of cucumber in season. And obviously, there's only a very short growing season. And we came across a recipe for pickling it. Oh, my goodness. It's lovely. really is. In the UK, a lot of things can be pickled. Here, when you say something is a pickle, it's a cucumber. Yeah. No, but there's gherkin cucumbers rather than cucumbers, aren't they? This is proper cucumber. No, they have dill. Yeah, people do more than one. I mean, classically, it was the gherkin. That's Mm -hmm. what you used to say. But it's sort of branched out into all different forms of cucumber. 
but you can pickle anything essentially. Yeah. We do lots and lots and always have done lots and lots of pickled onions. Hugh makes the most amazing chili pickled onions. Oh, oh wow. Absolutely gorgeous. We pickle chilies, we make pickle uh, onion relish, you know, all sorts of pickling type recipes. Yeah, it's huge over here. Massive. Do you have a lot of these on video on your YouTube channel? Yeah, quite a few of them actually. Yeah. The only one that Hugh hasn't published is my favorite, the chili pickled onions. Okay. So I must remind okay. him to do that one this year. But the thing is, pickled onions are so common over here. We didn't think it'd be a popular video, but actually, I think it might be. I think love, it might be too. I would love to see your pickled onion recipe. When I was a grad student, I used to do a lot of pickling and then I got a job. And now that I'm busier than ever, I'm pickling again. <laughs> it's the pickling that makes you busier than ever. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. So what's your go-to method? What's the most common method you use for preserving eggs? The most adaptable one I actually find is freezing. Now, freezing, what we do is whisk the yolk and the white together and then freeze it once. What we'll do is we'll do 12 eggs at once. We use okay. muffin trays because the muffin trays conveniently has 12 holes. Exactly. So essentially you get one egg in each of the muffin holes and we'll freeze it in that. Then we'll turn them out and just pop them in a plastic box, pop that in the freezer. When we need one or two eggs for baking, we'll just take those out. Essentially, you're getting a whole beaten egg every single time and it preserves it well. We have tried some other methods. One of our followers actually said, oh, why aren't you freezing them whole in their shell? It works. I don't think it will because the liquid will expand and crack the shell, but right. they were adamant. So we thought we'll try it. So we did. Guess what happened? You got cracks, cracks and leaks. And <laughs> Absolutely. Cracks. Yeah. The eggshell cracks. <laughs> it's one of the so, things we talk about in the winter is not to leave your eggs out when it gets below freezing because they will crack and expand. You'll even get micro cracks that you don't know. They crack and expand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But the, the other thing is actually we found, we'll, thought, we'll, we'll see what happens when we defrost the egg and the yolk kind of goes quite hard. It goes almost half of it. It's solidified. It's really quite bizarre when it's defrosted. And the same happens if you separate the white and the yolk and you freeze the yolk as a whole without whisking it. I could see that. That's for sure. interesting. It must have something to do with the fat content. Yeah. So I, that's what I would guess. Yeah, I think so. Always whisk your yolk, whether you're putting it in with the white or just doing yolks themselves, always whisk it. Yeah, absolutely. Every single time. My favorite method is just to whisk it all together because most recipes out there will be you know, your cakes, your Yorkshire pudding, yeah. Yeah. whole eggs. There's oh, parts yeah. of the UK actually have Yorkshire pudding as a dessert with raspberry vinegar. Ooh, and that's that delicious. That's it is. It's absolutely delicious. Yeah. I love this freezing method because you know each frozen disc is one egg. Yeah. So you can do yeah. exactly yes, what you need. Exactly. It's already yeah. pre-measured. You know what you're dealing with. So you flash freeze them in the muffin tins and then you can take them out after they're frozen and put them in something else. Because otherwise, you know, your muffin right. tray is tied up and it takes yeah. up a lot of room in the freezer. And they don't need, to, once they're solid, they don't need to be in those uh, tray shapes. Exactly. So we take them out and put them into boxes and consolidate 12 together and they don't generally exactly. stick to each other ones that were flash frozen in the muffin tray. And they defrost Perfect. very well. Oh, yeah, very well. They just look like whisked eggs. It's not like strawberries when you defrost them. They just look like mush. Yeah, totally. they do. So what happens if I'm finding this myself as I work towards preserving more food? Freezer space tends to come at a premium. Oh, yeah. So it does. So the, there are other things you can do. There's a method called water glass which is basically a sodium silicate solution. It's 10% solution you'd use and you put the egg in whole. And the idea is that that sodium silicate excludes all air. So no bacteria can get through the pores in the egg because it molds itself to the shell. Now you can do the same thing with oil or lard or any medium like that, as long as the egg is completely surrounded and there's no holes in any way that bacteria can get through, that will work. But you have something over there called, is it pickling lime? We do. And I just want to say that because the sodium silicate that you just mentioned, that is water glassing. A lot yes. of times here, you'll see people say water glassing is made with pickling lime. And they're actually two different methods. They're very similar, mm -hmm. but they're two different things. Yeah. You can do the same thing with pickling lime though. It's just mixing up the solution in such a concentrated way that no more powder will actually dissolve. 
And that's the perfect concentration for popping the eggs in whole in exactly the same way. But as I say, you can pack them in lard. It does the same job. You can pack them in vegetable oil. As long as they're completely covered, there's some kind of gap. So there's the egg, the medium you've got it in before there's any air. It'll work in exactly the same way. And then at that point, do you store them on the counter or in the refrigerator in this medium? On the counter, we've got them in our pantry. Basically, the bacteria can't get through the egg because it's got no way of getting through the medium okay. to the egg. So it That's has the has sealed. Yeah, so absolutely. It's a good, yeah, good way. Yeah. If you don't have refrigerator space and you want to save these eggs, it will keep them longer. So, what's the lifespan of the egg at this point? Well, the bacteria has got no way of getting through. So your only risk is if there's any bacteria in there in the first place. And actually, right. this is something to mention because in the UK we don't really have salmonella issues with eggs. And that's because we had a big scandal back in the, I think it was the 80s or the 90s. Lots of politicians involved. It really got quite comical at one point, but that's a whole other story. But as a result of that, the commercial industry changed and commercial chickens are all inoculated now against salmonella in the UK. And it's a standard. And as a result, our levels of salmonella are incredibly low. It's a very, very unusual thing to have somebody infected here to the degree where it makes them very ill. can happen, and it does happen, but on much less of an occasion than it does in the US. So if you're buying eggs commercially to do this, I think it's just being aware of that because you've got no control over how they're produced. That actually begs a couple of questions. The first is, if you're buying commercial eggs here, they've been washed. That's the thing, because there is a risk that the bacteria has already got through. Because that's the other thing in the UK, if you go into a UK supermarket, the eggs are stored ambient temperature on the shelves because they're not hot washed like they are in the US. Right. So all of the protective bloom around the outside of the egg in the US is removed. So there's a greater chance that bacteria has got through because I think yours are normally bought from chilled shelving space. So. Yeah, they have to be washed. Even if you're a small producer, this is one of the reasons that I never actually became uh, I think it's crazy certified myself. egg producer is because you have to wash them and immediately refrigerate them because you have washed the bloom Interesting. And so as I delve more into preserving, our best advice for folks over here would be use your own eggs or use eggs from a friend that you know weren't washed, but make sure they're clean. If there's a poopy egg, don't put that in your Absolutely not, no. Because then you're going to add a bacteria into it. And if you're going to buy eggs at the store, there really is no reason to buy an abundance of eggs that you're not going to use them that you have to preserve. Well, if you're buying them from the store, you may as well buy them from the store in January too. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You're not going to buy like a ton that you have to save. You're going to buy what you use. As far as the salmonella here goes, with the commercial setup, your risk of contamination is greater simply because the hens are confined in these small spaces. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the UK, people still refer to battery farming in the UK, but battery farming has been illegal for many, many years here. They have something else called enriched cage conditions, which they're not marvellous by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, they make me so uncomfortable, I can't tell you, but they are not battery cages. There's lots of them in a larger space. They can move around a bit, but it is still very confined, but it does make for cleaner conditions. Mm-hmm. This goes yeah. back to me always saying, I think everyone should be able to have the luxury of keeping if they four want to. to six if they want the chickens in their backyard yeah. so yeah. that they can supply their own very healthy, clean eggs to themselves that they yeah. have that ability to do it. And like you said, these that you're going to use from your backyard, you want to save because you fed these chickens, cared and loved for these chickens to get these eggs. And you want to save them and you don't want them to go bad. So that's when you're going to use this different kind of pickling solution. I just bought the pickling line because I am going to do that version of preservation, see how it works. There's another method, which was very, very common in the UK in the Second World War, which is powdered egg. You can actually still buy powdered egg if you wanted yep. to, but you can easily make it yourself. So all we do is we scramble the egg. Don't add any butter or milk like you normally would or, you know, your seasoning. It's just the egg. Pop it in a dehydrator to dry it out. Then pop it in a grinder. We use a coffee grinder because it gets really, really fine if we Mm -hmm. want it to. And then put it in an airtight container. And that will last for ages, absolutely ages. As long as the container is very dry on the inside and it's airtight, that powdered egg lasts for a long time. It's a bit limited. That's the only problem because your frozen eggs you can use for everything. You can use them in exactly the same way as you would your fresh eggs. 
But because these are already pre-cooked, you've got to bear that in mind. So you can bake with them, but it's kind of limited. People say you add it in the same way as you would, you know, when you add your dry ingredients for your cake, you add your powdered egg at exactly the same time. Mm -hmm. And then the wet ingredients that you add will give enough rehydration for the recipes. But I've never been convinced. I've never had a good result yet with with my experiments with making cakes that way, I have to say. So clearly I'm not doing something like that, but it does strike me. It's a cooked egg in the first place. You can rehydrate it and make scrambled egg and it doesn't quite look like the original thing, but it tastes great. It's breakfast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like we said, this is a time of year when you're going to get so many eggs that you have to think about preserving for the months of basically November through March that little stretch there right before you're going to need to save these eggs. Unless you've got an Orpington who manages to lay all through winter. Some of them do. A lot of my breeds do actually. I'm usually eggless for about eight to 10 weeks, like November, December, the beginning of January. Yeah. And then yeah. the Jersey Giants start and the Brahmas will start. We're normally just eggless during molting. And then as yep. soon as yeah. molting's finished, they start again, whether it's winter or not. Yeah, yeah. Lucy is like a rock star egg layer. Lucy the leghorn. <laughs> it's I amazing. Mean, it's amazing how many eggs this girl lays. But yeah, definitely want to be able to save them for baking during the holidays because everyone's yeah. like, oh my God, I love your baked goods because they have fresh eggs. You don't want to say, I had to take the walk of shame and go to the store. <laughs> yeah, because the other thing as well, if you're using your own eggs, they're bright yellow yolks because, yeah. you know, you're letting them have access to green grass and vegetables and you get those gorgeous cream orangey yolks and oh, you get yes. these amazing yellow sponge cakes, don't you? It's, yes. you know, yeah. I love yeah. when people comment on the color of the sponge cakes. Golden and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So what about salting? Do you know anything about salting? I've never tried it on eggs. So I've done salted egg yolks and that works really well. Mm-hmm. Does it? Yeah. The egg yolk becomes like cheese and you can grate it. Oh, wow. For someone like me who cannot eat dairy, sometimes when I have a little grated egg yolk on veggie soup or a pasta or something, it's so good. We have the recipe for this. It's under our articles on our website. It's on our website. So you just want some kind of a container that has about an inch of salt in it and you'll separate your eggs and you'll put your yolk, not touching each other in the salt. And then you cover yeah. them with more salt, pop them in the fridge for about a week. That's all it takes. Take them out, brush all the salt off, tie them in cheesecloth and let them cure for another week. That's it. Wait, when you cure them, are they outside the refrigerator or back in the fridge? I put them back in the fridge. You don't yeah. need to because theoretically they're cured by then. Right. But I just pop them back in the fridge for another week. You can't and, be too safe. Yeah. My Blanche Dubois, my Easter egg, are lays, they're almost pumpkin colored, her yolks. And so I like to use her eggs for these. And they look like little hard cheeses. It's amazing. That'd be good like in a potato salad. Oh, like yeah. Like grated over potato salad. Because you know potato salad has eggs in it anyway. Yeah. That yeah. would be a great addition to your potato salad. And other things, like you said, on top of soups, oh, regular so salads, good. all different kinds of uses. I don't know if you can do anything with salting whole eggs, but the egg yolks work perfectly. Yeah. It's only the yolks that would work, I would think. Because mm-hmm. the whites are going to be far too liquid, aren't they? Right. The salt draws the liquid out of the yolk, mm-hmm. but yeah, the weight is just protein and water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we do want to mention that Fiona does have a video on English Country Life all about all the methods that we're talking about today, mm-hmm. preserving eggs. So you can listen to the podcast and then go over to her YouTube channel and watch the video. And actually, it's not mine. You get to watch my wonderful husband. Yeah. Which we try to get him on for this, but he can't <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's too shy. Too shy, <laughs> which is bizarre because we're happy being on, you know, YouTube. But I think this feels more like live talking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So yeah, I don't think I've people. made a fool of myself too much yet. But. You've never made a fool of yourself. You've never. Oh, never ever. You, thank you. If you say live in an apartment and you're still dreaming of your land and your chickens, you can go to a farmer. You can buy eggs. You can do this. You can keep a little bucket of preserved eggs in your kitchen. Yeah, you yeah. can go to the Any- farmer's market, the, the yeah. local farm, and you should ask them about their eggs and whether right. or not they're washed or not before you yeah. buy them mm-hmm. at the farmer's actually, market. Actually, if you're aspiring to go to your homestead or small holding in the future, it's a great way to practice. Yes. Don't wait. You know, yeah. um, start exactly. with skills now. It's a brilliant way to learn. Absolutely. Thank you, Fiona, for coming on and talking to us about all these neat ways to preserve eggs. And we all need to start doing it now. So. 
in December, we can bake our cakes and cookies and have everything. Everything we, else, yeah. We yeah we'll, we'll have to have a coffee with the Chicken Ladies Bake Off. Oh, yeah. Challenge accepted. With preserved eggs. With preserved eggs. It has to be with preserved eggs. Yeah. And we'll document it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That would be fun, actually. It will, yeah. That. My cake is going to sink in the middle. It's going to have a giant crater <laughs> in the middle. But hey. Well, thank you, Fiona. As usual, we love talking to you every Thanks month. Thanks for having me again. Okay, we'll talk to you later. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We just want to say thank you one more time to Fiona. What a fantastic conversation. So much fun. Yeah, and great tips. As always, go check out Fiona's YouTube channel, English Country Life. You can see her video on preserving eggs there check and all of her other great stuff. It's awesome. Okay, so now it's about that time for cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. And this week, we went back and forth, and we ended up going with one that I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I am a huge fan of the strata. Yeah. I love it for feeding the family for dinner. It's a savory bread pudding. How can you go wrong? You can't. It also uses a monster amount of eggs. It does. So this time of year, we're in a middle ground of using the eggs that we want to use mm-hmm. and then preserving some for the time we don't have them. Right. I have no problem with that here because I'm getting a dozen plus a day. Uh, yeah. And we have pullets too. Yeah. So, so we're going to have some winter egg laying. The other really great thing about Stratas is that you can customize them so easily, swap out veggies, etc. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that breakfast for dinner can be hearty and easy. Yeah. Stratas are really, really easy. For dinner for breakfast. Let's just start by saying the difference between a strata and a quiche. Strata is literally a savory bread pudding. Your crust is the bread. Right. Your main part, besides the eggs, is the bread mm-hmm. on the bottom. A quiche has a crust. Well, this one has a little bit of a twist in that you mix the bread up with everything. Yeah. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. A quiche goes into a crust. With a strata, the custard tends to be more egg-heavy than the quiche. Yeah. Like, the quiche tends more. to have more milk or cream yes. mixed with the eggs. Like this strata has one cup of milk, but it has eight eggs in it. Yeah. I made a quiche for dinner last night for the family. Mm -hmm. And I just did ground turkey, breakfast sausage, tomato, and mini potato. Nice. And it only calls for four eggs. Mm -hmm. And the strata has more egg in it. Right. So this one, we went with sourdough bread for all of you regular wheat eaters. It's hard to find gluten-free sourdough. I ended up just using a gluten-free, like, ancient grains. Yeah, and in a pinch, you can use any bread. Uh, Whatever. Whatever works. One reason why I like this, say, a quiche, you're like, okay, either have to make a crust or no crust, or you have a store-bought crust. Right. This is, shoot, I need to make something quick. Yeah. You could just empty out the pantry. You could use burger rolls. You could use whatever. Exactly. It just needs to be kind of bready. Yeah. It also calls for peppers. You can use whatever kind of peppers you want. And I cut back on them because I have a problem with the nightshades. A lot of people do. I don't. I lucked out with that. You are lucky because I do love red peppers. It calls for two red peppers. You can use whatever kind of peppers you want or cut them back. Mushrooms. Yes. It calls for some sweet potatoes peeled and sliced. I like the zucchini in there too and sliced real thin. Yeah. I love that in there. I am going to make this again and use butternut squash instead of the sweet potatoes. Yeah. And when I use the butternut squash, I'm probably going to add some sage to the time that this calls for. Yeah. I, I think can that see that. Work really well. And then just a cup of chopped greens, whatever greens you have shard, kale, spinach, whatever. Whatever. So it also calls for garlic, mm-hmm. Dijon mustard, and Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce. Yes, yes. We all love saying Worcestershire sauce. Also, balsamic vinaigrette and some olive oil. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people put the bread in first and then yeah. put everything in. And the bread kind of takes over anyway. Well, the reason you put it all together with this is because when you whisk all that stuff together for the sauce, you're going to put it in the dish, pour the sauce over, and toss it a bit. Right. Because you want everything to be coated. Right. It calls for fresh thyme. You can use dried thyme in a pinch. I have so much fresh thyme right now. I do too. And I like one of my favorite herbs. It's taken off in my herb garden. I love that smell. I'll just break a leaf off because I love that smell. But you can add some other things, you, you know, like I want sage with the butternut squash. You can add... If you have potatoes, the rosemary goes very well oh, with potatoes. Oh, that would be really good. Yeah. If you wanted to take out maybe the sweet potatoes and put in, say, tomatoes or something and make right. it more Italian, Yeah, that would be really great with oregano. I've been all into these baby, baby potatoes with the tomatoes all cut and then sauteing them first. Delicious. And then put them in with my egg. That's like my new thing these days. Oh, so good. 
This does call for eight eggs, which this time of the year, if you don't want to preserve all your eggs now, this is a way to use, use them for up, dinner. Yeah. Like we said, you throw all the bread and the veg together. You put the sauce on them, toss that. Then you whisk together the eggs and the milk. And then you pour it all pour it over. Yeah. You're going to use a larger, like a nine by 13. At least, yeah. For this. Mm-hmm. Like a quiche, something else, you're going to use a circle pie dish. This is a larger casserole dish yeah. that you're going to need that space. I mean, you can do it in a round casserole, but it's got to be a big one. This is a tip for me. I always cook all my vegetables, all my potatoes first before mm-hmm. I put it in the egg. These things give off moisture and it will water down your strata. And sometimes those things just taste good. Like I like any onion or garlic, a little brown yeah. or caramelized. Exactly. Butternut squash, I would usually either roast or steam that before I put it in. Yeah. The greens, you don't need to cook. You no. can if you want to, but you don't need to. The other thing that you can do, it depends on what you like. You can pour the custard on this and then let it sit for like half an hour for the bread to absorb. Yes. I'm lazy. I just put it in the oven. A lot of people say with stratas, you have to let them sit overnight. It's your choice on what you like to do. Yep. And some stratas also people put right in the oven as soon as they make them. And they taste just as good to me. Uh, Yeah. I usually don't have any trouble. You bake it for like 45 to 50 minutes. You're looking at probably an hour of cooking time. Well, here's the thing. You cook your veggies for like 30 minutes. You get it on the pan. You stick it in the oven. And then you can go out and weed the garden for 40 minutes yeah. and come back. And it's ready. Right. And then you let it cool because it'll slice a little bit mm-hmm. better. So you're going to be putting it in the oven at 350. Yeah. And there's dinner. And mm-hmm. then with it, you can make a side. I did a quiche for last night for everybody. And I did the cornbread and a fruit salad. Mm-hmm. It was perfect for dinner. Fruit salad sounds really good. Sometimes I like to serve stratas on a bed of greens. Yeah. Little fruit salad on the side. Yeah, I just did like cantaloupe, strawberry. We bought at the farmer's market these blue raspberries. Mm -hmm. They're so good. Sounds good. Those and peaches that we bought at the farmer's market. It's awesome. In my house, a meal like this has got serious leftover power. I love that. Yeah, it's good. That's lunch the next day. That's Mm -hmm. breakfast the next day. And it's all thanks to those amazing hens out there. It is. So if you make it, send us some pictures. We'll give you a story. Okay, so let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so retail therapy this week, we decided to do a book review. It's a book review, yeah. We picked one that you can get on Amazon. It's on our storefront, correct? It is on our storefront. Mm -hmm. It's called Literary Chicken by Beth Moon. That's the photographer. Right. In it, it has quotes. Yeah, it's a great premise. It's portrait shots of chickens Mm -hmm. in black and white. Yes. And they all come with a literary quote. So it can take you back to high school days when you were reading all these literary college days, when you're reading all these books that you had to Mm -hmm. read. And it took us back to Don Quixote. Oh, yeah. We broke into song. We had to break into song. Because we read that in Spanish. We walked around those halls for a month or more singing. In our Spanish class, we had to read Don Quixote in Spanish. Yes. And then our Spanish teacher made us watch the musical, The Men of La Mancha. Yes. And so we still know some of the words to the songs. From we that started musical. singing when we brought it up. Did. As soon as we saw that quote. I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember the stinking lyrics from a musical that we watched in high school. I can't remember something that you told me five minutes ago, I but I can remember that. Short-term memory, as you get older, I think it goes. (laughs) The brain is fascinating. Yeah, this has a number of different authors in it writing pieces. This is a true coffee table book. It actually is. It is. It's one that when you're just sitting there for a few minutes, like, what do I do? You would look at. What's that feel like? I don't know. I wish I did. You're a lady of leisure. Bring me my bun buns, please. It's interesting because in general, I'm a huge fan of color photography. You are. I want to see birds in all their glory. I adore all the colors of chickens. This is done in black and white. And the artist did some manipulation to make the feathers stand out. So it highlights their texture. Like you were saying, it highlights their facial expressions. When you get this book and you look into the eyes of these chickens, it's like you can see their emotion. Mm -hmm. The books we review, we review together a lot. Yeah. We'll sit here for however long and go through the whole thing. And of course, we went through and looked at every portrait and then try to guess the breed. That's what we do. And you know what? We got a lot of them right, too. I was impressed with myself for one of them. (laughs) But if you have coffee with your friend, Mm -hmm. sit and go through the book together. Geek out. Yeah, it's kind of fun. 
It's mostly headshots. I think it's all headshots. I think it is all headshots. And so you really are focused on the neck and head of the chicken. And it is gorgeous in its own way. You feel like reading a little something, taking the quotes Mm -hmm. that they have in from Mm -hmm. Dickinson, from... Oh, it's across the board. Shakespeare. European authors, American authors. It's across the board. It's first class coffee table book. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. That right there is an Eppenzeller Spitzhaben. (laughs) The chickens are gorgeous in these pictures. Mm -hmm. I love seeing into their soul. There are two particular breeds in this book that earned the author and photographer huge points for me. Okay. There's a mottled Java. Yes. And there's a Sicilian buttercup hen. Yes. All over that. And we did not get the mottled Java. You know why? Because it was black and white and we couldn't tell. Yeah, we couldn't tell what colors it was. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw the mottled look, but we didn't really know. That was one that we went back. Yeah, we weren't sure about that So we went through this book. But we got the Sicilian buttercup. Well, yes, of course, with that comb. Comb, right. not. So we had a fun hour or more just going through the book and reading it's it. It's a really nice book. Like if you're looking for a birthday gift for a chicken-loving friend, yes. this would be a really great gift. It would be because it's something that they can look at, they can appreciate. It's a hardcover book. Mm-hmm. And if you get it on Amazon, it wasn't too crazy expensive. It's like $15. Right. It's a great gift it for is. a chicken lover. If you're into chicken photography, it won't astonish you at all to learn that there are a lot of Polish chickens in this book. Yes. They photograph well. They do photograph really well. So if you're looking for a gift or you're looking for a book to add to your collection of Mm -hmm. chicken books, this is one that's on the radar. I think it has a little bit of a deeper feeling. And Jane Goodall, she actually wrote the afterword. She wrote the afterword. And it's really, really touching. It is. She tells a story. She does. Yeah. It's really nice. You want this one on your bookshelf. Yeah, Yeah, you do. Yeah. Okay. Should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're going to Africa. For real? I wish. (laughs) No. No, we are profiling an African breed, the Patch of Stroom Cuckoo. Yes, we are. It was developed in South Africa. We are chatting with John Moyle. John is a poultry specialist for the University of Maryland Extension Agency. Yes, he is. And not only is he going to give us an update on avian flu in the U.S., he's going to talk about his work with women across the world, training them to keep poultry. And he's been to a lot of countries. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Our recipe, because it's blueberry season, a delicious blueberry cornmeal cake. Yay! Retail therapy, we're sharing some vintage chicken goods from Pensbury Pottery. If you like the Dutch, you're going to like this. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. Ha, 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 ha.